Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here at Renaissance, and every week we get together and we study the Bible together, and we do this for a couple reasons. One is because we believe that the Bible is the the primary source of information for all things Jesus. If we want to know about who Jesus is, we look to the Bible to understand him. That's why we study the Bible, and the second reason we study the Bible is because it's a book about Jesus, we want to make everything we do all about Jesus. You may have seen the sign when you came in tonight that said, because of Jesus. That's why we exist here at Renaissance. It's why we sing to him. It's why we talk about the Bible. It's because of Jesus. And so the Bible helps us to explain who he is, and it teaches us more about him. If you were expecting something else besides Jesus tonight, I'm sorry. (laughs) But he's what you're going to get. All that we do All that we are is for and because of Jesus. And so that's why we study the Bible each week, because we want to know him better. When we study the Bible, what we learn is that it's full of stories of people, people like you and people like me, people who lived thousands of years ago who interacted with God. What we learn about their stories is that each one of those stories is a microcosm of a larger story that is woven all throughout the pages of the Bible this larger story that God wants to build his kingdom on this earth and set his king on the throne of that kingdom. And this king is his son, Jesus. So the Bible's story is one of God's kingdom being ruled by his son, Jesus. And so when we look at the individual stories and the lives of the people who are in the Bible, what we know and can learn about them is that their stories are folding into that greater story, even though it may not even mention Jesus in the story of their life, because they're part of this greater picture. To give you an example of how this works, those of us who have seen the Star Wars trilogy would understand that when we find out later that Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker are brother and sister. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen. Which is really weird when they kissed in one of the prior (laughs) movies. We know that, that that part of the plot was already in the author's mind when he wrote the first movie. And when we understand that from, from Return of the Jedi, that they're in fact brother and sister, we look back to the original movie and remember and realize that, wow, there were things in place in that movie that were pointing to that, that, that were showing us that, that that was the reality of who they were. The Bible is the same. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that when the perfect time had come, God sent his son into the world. And when he sent him into the world, he sent him to be born 
to come out of a woman's womb and come into this world as an infant. And this harkens back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, the first humans who God created, find themselves in a garden that God had placed them in, a garden he called Eden. And there's a creature there, we call him Satan, and he tempts them to disobey God. And when they disobey God, God says to them, you can't live in this garden anymore. But I want to bring you back one day. And in order to do that, Eve, you're going to have a descendant who will crush the power of Satan to do evil. He will crush the power of sin in your life. And all throughout the Bible, we see this promise being made over and over again that a king is coming to rule the world. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. And so God had this in mind all the while as he's writing these stories through people so that we might understand how he wants to set up his kingdom on this earth. Now, when we think of a kingdom, we typically think of a realm or a region that a sovereign is ruling over. But the, the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is not defined by national boundaries. It's not defined by ethnicity. It's not limited to people groups. It's not, it's not limited to certain spheres. Jesus said the kingdom of God is not of this world. He also called it the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of God is unlike anything we know on this earth. It's unlike anything that we can see with our eyes or touch with our hands because it is a spiritual kingdom. And so when we read the stories in the Bible and learn that, that what God is doing in these people is building his kingdom so that his son Jesus can rule and reign, we must keep in mind that his kingdom does not look like the kingdoms of this earth. His kingdom, in fact, looks like him ruling and reigning in the lives of people. It looks like him establishing his sovereignty in people like you and I. That is what the kingdom of God is. It's not a nation state. It's not a sphere. It's all the people who believe in and follow Jesus. And so when we read today Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 12, which is where we're going. So if you brought a Bible with you and you want to turn there, that would be great. Genesis chapter 12, we'll be starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to read along, you can pay attention to the screens. We'll put the words up there. There's also a, a Bible underneath the seat around you. You can turn to page 8 in that and find Genesis chapter 12. And we'll be reading about a man named Abraham. Now, when we read today, it's going to say Abram. And the reason this is, is because Abram was Abraham's birth name. Abram means exalted father. And we'll learn in a couple weeks that God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many. And because most of us have heard that song, Father Abraham had many sons, and we're more familiar with the name Abraham, that's the name I'll be using as we read today. So when we see Abram, I'm going to replace that name with Abraham because that's actually who it's talking about. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed 
from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they'd gathered and the people that they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, Abraham, I will give this land. So there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev, which is the southern region of the land of Canaan. Before we go any further, let's stop and do what we do every week and ask God to help us understand what we're about to read so that we can look for and find Jesus in the story. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that you have given us the Bible as a guide to understand who Jesus is. I pray that you would help us to see him in this story, that you would help us to learn more about the rule of your kingdom in this earth, and that when we see who Jesus is as the true and good and righteous king, that we would love him and serve him. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 12:1. it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This country, this land of Abraham's father was a city called Ur, located in what is modern-day Iraq. And this city, Ur, was one of two centers of worship for a moon god called Nana, not to be confused with your grandma. And they worshiped this moon god, Nana, in the city of Ur, and they also worshiped him in the city of Haran, where Abraham's family had moved to. So there, his father is from this city called Ur, and he, Abraham grows up and lives in this city that's a center of worship to this moon god. And one day, Abraham's father says, let's move to a new city. So they take their entire family and go to another city, this city called Haran, this other center of worship to this moon god, Nana. So they go from one place of idolatry to another place of idolatry. And because of that, we can surmise that Abraham and his father were likely worshipers of this moon god, Nana. They were likely idolaters who did not worship the one true God. And if surmising that is not enough for us, we could turn to Joshua chapter 24. And I'm not asking you to do that, but Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 as Joshua is standing with Abraham's descendants, the children of Israel, they called themselves, about to move into this land that God had promised them here, he stands before them and says, when God promised to give Abraham this land, he was talking about you. But remember, before Abraham came here, he and his father served other gods in their homeland. So not only can we surmise it from what we know about Ur and Haran from history, we can see it in the Bible that Abraham was an idol worshiper. And the interesting thing about these false gods, this moon god, Nana, is that he could never speak to Abraham. You see, the thing about false gods is that they're made of wood and stone. They're not alive. They're, they're not sentient. They don't have breath in them. They're not able to communicate. And because they're not living, they cannot speak. They can't convey information. They, they have as much life in them as the seat you're sitting on does. And so when Abraham hears the voice of a God who's alive, 
it makes sense that he would want to follow him because the gods that he'd worshiped up to that point could not speak to him. They could not communicate because they weren't living, because they weren't real. God says to Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to leave the land of your fathers. I want you to leave this place where you've been worshiping idols. I want you to leave that all behind. And that's not easy for Abraham to do for a couple reasons. One, in that day, your family was your security. Your family was your economy. Your family was your safety. Fathers would have sons and their sons would have sons. And you needed your family to sustain you. So if he leaves, he's leaving his security behind. But not only that, this worship of this moon god is probably all that he'd known up to that point. All that he knows is to worship these false gods. And now there's a god who's talking to him that he's probably never met before or maybe not even heard of before. And now he has to figure out what to do here. So not only is it hard for him to leave the land of his fathers because of all that he'd be giving up, it's hard for him to leave the land of his fathers because it's all he's ever known. And I wonder how many of us are holding on to something so tightly that we know maybe we should leave, but it's all we've ever known, so it's easier for us to stay. Maybe we're holding on to it really tightly, even though we know God wants us to let go of it, but it feels very safe and secure, and so we don't know how to walk away from it. But if we were to hear the voice of a God who's alive say to us, let go of that and leave that, perhaps we too, like Abraham, would obey him. And he goes on to give Abraham seven different promises. Starting in verse two, he says, I will make of you a great nation. And as we thumb through the pages of the Bible, we see that this nation was eventually called Israel. Abraham had descendants, a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, which means he wrestles with God. And this Israel had 12 sons who became the fathers of what are known as the 12 tribes of Israel, if you remember that from your history class. And so he made them into a great nation that at one time the extent of its borders spread from the southern Sinai desert near Egypt all the way north near the Euphrates River, this vast kingdom. God made them a great nation as he promised to Abraham. He says, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. He's making all of these promises to Abraham and we can look back and we can see that they were fulfilled because we know that that's who God is, is to fulfill his promises. If there's one thing that's impossible for God to do, it's to lie. It's to not follow through on what he said he would do. He always keeps his promises because he is utterly reliable. You and I, not so much. I have a standing appointment every Friday morning with a friend named Dan to have breakfast at Steak and Shake. So every Friday morning, I get up at 5 a.m. to go meet Dan at 5.30. I know. 5.30 a.m. Now, now, the way I feel about appointments and making it on time to things is that if you're, if you're on time, you're already late. Okay? Uh, on time is five minutes early, at least. 
But there's something about 5.30 a.m. on Friday that to me looks a lot like 5.40, 5.45. <laughs> and so most Fridays, Dan will be sitting there at 5.32, 5.35, 5.37, 5.40. One day it's 6.30 and I'm awakened by a text message from Dan. You gonna make it today, Joe? See, when Dan goes to Steak and Shake at 5.30 on Friday morning, he never knows if I'm for sure going to show up or not until I get there. But if by some stroke of miracle I happen to show up before Dan does, I would know he's going to make it. There would be no doubt in my mind that Dan is coming because that's who Dan is. Dan shows up for what he said he was going to do. He's reliable. It's not within his character to not be there because he said he would be there. Me? Not so much. Dan, <laughs> yes, this is who God is. When he says something, he's going to do it. He can't falter on that. He can't waver. He can't not fulfill what he's promised to do because it's outside of his character to do that. He doesn't lie. He doesn't make empty promises. And he's making all of these promises to Abraham that we can look through the pages of the Bible and see they came true. We can look through the pages of the Bible and see many other promises God made that came true. But Abraham didn't know that. Abraham had no reason to trust that this God would actually do what he would promised to do because he'd had no experience with him. You and I, we have the stories in the Bible. We have the promises that were made thousands of years ago. The promise that this woman, Eve, would have a descendant who'd come into the world to save the world. We know that God fulfilled that promise through Jesus. We can ask our friends about their lives and they can tell us how God came through for them. They can tell us how God rescued them from their sin. They can tell us how God has helped their lives. And so we can gain experience about how reliable God is. But Abraham didn't have that luxury. He had no prior knowledge of whether or not God was trustworthy. And yet he chose to believe him. God promises him, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. We sing, children sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons 3,400 years later. The three major religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all trace their lineage to Abraham. They all call Abraham the father of their faith. Billions of people in the world look to Abraham as the originator of their religion. God has made his name great. Verse three says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse Abraham, anyone who comes against you and, and says things that are negative and terrible about you, don't worry about it because I'm on your side and I, I, will, I will watch out for you when someone's going to curse you. And he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What he's saying here is ultimately pointing to this truth of that, of that baby who would come into the world named Jesus of this king that would rule the world and, and rule over people's lives in kindness and love and in goodness. This blessing that belongs to all the world that, that God said to Abraham and you, all the families of the world will be blessed. This blessing is Jesus. If I were to pull the room and ask everyone if you wanted to be blessed, I would imagine that all of us would raise 
our hands. And maybe we have an idea of what blessing looks like. Maybe it looks like my life is going well. And because things are going well, I can say, wow, I'm so blessed. But if things are not going well, maybe I'll say, I don't feel so blessed today. But the reality is Jesus is the blessing that we need. And so whether things are going well or whether things are going poorly, I am still blessed because I have Jesus. And if I need more than Jesus, what I'm saying is Jesus is not enough of a blessing from God for me. He is the blessing God promised to Abraham that all the families of the world would be blessed by. Verse four says, Abraham went as the Lord told him. He just went to this land, having no prior experience. And Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, the interesting thing about this is, is that Abraham's 75 years old and he's going to go to a land that God says, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. But Abraham at this time has no children yet. He's 75 years old. His wife is about 65 years old. And they don't have children because they've chosen to not have children. It, it's not like they had a conversation when they were first married and, and Abraham said, so do you th- think you'd like to have kids one day? And Sarah says, no, I don't want kids. And they say, okay, great, we won't have kids. It's not like they had that conversation because everyone wanted to have children in that day. It was important for your livelihood. You needed children to sustain your family because you don't have to pay your kids for work when they're underage. (laughs) You needed them to maintain your way of life. You needed them for security. You needed their kids to continue on, your family in the earth. They wanted to have children, but the Bible tells us that Abraham and his wife struggled with infertility, and so they could not have children. And now they're 75 and 65 years old, and God says, I'm gonna give you this land, and your children are going to own it. If I'm Abraham at this point, I stop listening to this talking God. (laughs) But Abraham chose to believe and he went and he obeyed and he did what God commanded him having no prior knowledge that God would actually or was actually able to follow through with what he'd promised. His trust in him was so deep that there was no doubt I've heard this God speak. None of the other gods I've served could speak to me. This God must be different. So I will follow him. I will go. And Abraham took, this is verse five, Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they'd gathered, and all the people that they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. What I love about the Bible is that we can look in it and see stories of people's lives that parallel even our lives today. If, if we were moving to a new place, we'd take our family and all our belongings and we would go with all our family and our belongings there. Few people move from one city to another without anything, without taking anything with them. And this is what Abraham does. He takes his stuff and he takes his crew and they move to this land of Canaan. Now, the other cool thing we can see in the Bible is that when we look into its stories, we can also find Jesus there. And sometimes we find Jesus there because he looks just like the people who are in the stories. Sometimes we find Jesus there because he's actually better than the person who's in the story. And sometimes we find Jesus there by finding 
how he's not anything like that person. And so we see Abraham taking all of his possessions and a lot of his family and a lot of his servants and moving to this land of Canaan because he can't sustain himself on his own. He needs all of these people and all of these things. But the Bible tells us when Jesus left heaven and came to earth, he brought nothing with him. That he took his glory, the honor, the praise, the worship that he was due as the son of God and the creator of the universe and he laid that Aside, and he came to this earth as an infant, born in a stable to poor parents, so poor they couldn't afford a crib, so they laid this baby in a feeding trough. He brought nothing with him to this earth because he needs nothing. Abraham needed all of that stuff to build a life in the land of Canaan. You and I have needs to get by. Jesus has no needs. He doesn't even need us. For some of us, that's a shock. But for some of us, we need to hear that even though Jesus doesn't need us, he wants us. He wants us. He has no need. And because he has no need and can come to earth with nothing, it means he can freely forgive us of our sins. It means he can freely lay his life down because he has no need for personal vindication. He can take all of the affronts against him and he can, he can take it all upon himself and he can forgive us freely because he needs nothing. You and I are not like that. Jesus has no needs He's better than Abraham. He's better than you and me. And, and better than that even is that he wants to sustain us when we feel as though we have nothing. When we feel as though we don't have what we need, Jesus wants to come along and cradle us in his arms and say, remember, I am the blessing that you need. I am everything you need. Verse seven says, the Lord appeared to Abraham in this land and said to your offspring, I will give this land. It's crazy because at this point he has no offspring and Abraham just believes that he will have children. And to spoil the story for you, it's not until Abraham's about 100 years old that he has children. And this son, Isaac, goes on to have a son, Jacob, I mentioned it earlier, whose sons fathered the tribes of Israel. And this, this nation of Israel eventually moved into this land and they possessed that land that God promised to Abraham, I will give it to your offspring. But the really cool thing about the Bible as we go on through the pages of the story is that we find that the people who God deems as Abraham's offspring are not just genetically or biologically his offspring. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that everyone who has faith in Jesus, God looks at and says that person is a child of Abraham. That person is one of Abraham's offspring. So those of us who believe in Jesus are also Abraham's offspring. So when we see this promise to Abraham, to your offspring, I can give this land, we can see ourselves in that story. I mentioned earlier that Joshua was telling this nation before they moved into the land about their father who had served 
other gods. And as he's telling them this story, they would have seen themselves in Abraham's story because they would have known that they were his offspring. We knowing that we are also Abraham's offspring can see ourselves in this story. So when it says to your offspring, Abraham, I will give this land, we can say to the believers in Jesus of the 21st century, Abraham, I will give this land. I mentioned earlier that the kingdom of God is not of this world. So what is this land that God has promised to us as the offspring of Abraham? It isn't defined by national borders. It isn't defined by a place on this earth. It isn't defined by certain spheres or realms of society. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, exists within people. It's within people. And so when God says to your offspring, Abraham, I will give this land, what he's saying to us who understand the spiritual nature of the kingdom of God, that we are promised to be able to bring other people into God's kingdom. This is the promise to receive that land. That's the land. It's more people in God's kingdom. This is why the Count Me In campaign is so important for us because we want to make more room for more people to come and hear about the truth and love of Jesus. If you weren't here at 9 and 1045 a.m., there was not an empty seat in this room. Overflow was overflowing. We need more room and we want more room because we want more people to come and learn about Jesus. We want them to know what he's done for us. We want them to know about this king who rules our lives in goodness and kindness and love and truth and how wonderful he is. And we want to share it with them because when we really believe in something, you will tell other people about it. When something's important to you and has made a difference in your life, you will let other people know how great and wonderful it was for you. I was sharing recently with a friend at Starbucks about a pair of pants, American Eagle Flex Fit pants. They're amazing. It's like you're wearing no pants at all. And, and for most men, that's really our goal, is just to not have to wear pants at all. And so these American Eagle Flex Fit pants are so great. It's like wearing sweatpants, but they're nice looking jeans. And I'm telling this friend of mine, they're so stretchy and so comfortable, we could fit in these at the same time. And so he left Starbucks to go buy a pair. I said, they've got a buy one, get one free special right now. You need to go and check that out and see what they're doing. I promise you, I don't get a commission from American Eagle for selling those pants. Maybe I should send them this podcast and they'll help me out. But, but I get nothing. But they've made such a profound difference in my life that I want my friends to know about it. I want them to experience the same joy I've experienced. The same is true of my faith in Jesus. The same is true of what I know about him as the king who is good and rules and reigns over my life in truth. I want other people to know the joy of knowing him. We want other people to know the joy of knowing him. And those of us who are now in God's kingdom, we don't get to sit around like a king 
and get waited on by servants. But we become servants to serve those who are outside of the kingdom to bring them in so they can have citizenship too. This is what God has promised. Abraham, to your offspring, I will give this land. Abraham, to the church of Jesus, I will send people so that they will know more about his truth and his love. I want to finish up with this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The book of 2 Corinthians is actually a letter. It was written by a man named the Apostle Paul. And the, the Apostle Paul had a pretty drastic conversion. He at one time opposed the church of Jesus so powerfully that he oversaw the execution and the arrest of many followers of Jesus. And he's on his way to a city to, to perform these acts, to have Christians executed and arrested. And while he's on his way, Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his horse and says, Paul, you soon will be taking this message of my truth and my love to other people. And he eventually goes on to do that. And in new cities where he would go, he would establish churches and he would stay there a while and train them up and eventually leave. And he would keep in contact with these churches by writing letters to them. And one of these churches was in a city called Corinth. And this book, 2 Corinthians, is the second letter he wrote to them. And he says in this book, in chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. No one understands this more than Paul does. No one understands this more than a man who one day was giving his life to murdering Christians and the next day was giving his life to making sure other people become Christians. He says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18 says, all this is from God. We cannot do that on our own. We do not have power in ourselves to make ourselves new. We do not have the ability to change our lives, that comes from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God's coming into the world and drawing all people to himself through Jesus. And the way he does that is through people like you and people like me who say to others, you can know God. Verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not holding anything against us. God is reconciling the world to himself and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If the news is going to get out, it's going to get out through people who are part of God's kingdom. If anyone's going to know about Jesus, if anyone's going to become a citizen of this kingdom, it's going to be because a citizen of the kingdom told them how to get in. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. We are agents of this kingdom on earth. God is making his appeal through us, through us. If he's going to reach people with his truth and his love, he's going to do it through humans who are part of his kingdom. He's going to do it through you. He's going to do it through me. He's going to do it through Renaissance and the other churches of Decatur. He's going to tell people about his love through us. 
if we are citizens of that kingdom, if we are followers of Jesus, we have a mandate to let others know how great and wonderful this King Jesus really is. We have a role to play in this earth and it's to bring other people into the knowledge of the truth and the love of Jesus. If you are here and you are not a believer in Jesus, you don't follow Jesus, we're really glad that you're here. In fact, we are honored that you would come and spend time with us on a Sunday evening. We do a lot of what we do so that you would feel comfortable in this place. And I want to repeat the words of the Apostle Paul to you, imploring you on behalf of Christ, he says in verse 20, be reconciled to God. For some of us, it feels like an impossibility because we can't imagine that God would actually want us. But he's done all the work. He reconciled the world to himself. And now all we have to do is turn to him. He's the one who's standing at our door, knocking, asking to come in. And we're the ones closing the blinds, locking the door and running into the bathroom, hoping he'll go away. He wants us to come in. And all we have to do is turn to him. The band is going to be returning here in a few moments. And, and when they do, we'll have time to sing songs to Jesus and worship him. We'll have time to pray together. And, and during that time, we can take that time to focus on these truths that God loves us. He wants to bring us into his kingdom. And if you are not a part of that kingdom and you would like to talk to someone about becoming part of it, there will be people in the gallery who would like to pray with you. You can come find me. I would like to pray with you and talk to you about that. But if you would just try him out, you would find he's so, so good. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that Jesus is a good king, that his kingdom is full of truth and love, that his rule in our lives is good, it's kind, and it's helpful. He doesn't damage us. He doesn't harm us. He doesn't treat us like we're unworthy, even though we know that we are, but he he welcomes us fully. He's flung wide the gates of his kingdom so that we can barge right into it. Lord, I thank you that that is who you are. I thank you that that's what you've done for us. I pray that if any of us are afraid of turning to you, that you would take that fear away. I pray that you would help us to see you for who you really are and to love you for who you really are. I pray first, Lord, that we would know and understand your love because it's from that place that we can truly love you back. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.